0: Mean O'Line Media presents Black Arm of the Law.
1: Welcome to Black Arm of the Law podcast, where each week we will examine the most pressing issues in the criminal legal system. I am your host, Dr. Rochelle Brackney, also known as Chief B. As we settle into today's show, don't forget to download, subscribe, follow, rate, and comment um, with us on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon Music so let's jump into it today um i have two guests with me brothers and brothers um who are part of an amazing dynamic um literally technology revolutionary um company called force metrics and they are this up and coming rising group and company and they are a force to be reckoned with please welcome to the show Shane and Andre McGregor. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Chief P. Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Absolutely. So we're going to do a little bit of background stuff before we start wowing the audience with what and who Force is. And when I say we talk about the things that are most pressing in the legal criminal system and law enforcement today, technology brings with it um, both these um, wonderful ideas about how we can do things better, more efficient and more equitable, but they also bring with it some hesitancies when we talk about black and brown communities. So before we get into the heart of all of this and the meat of all of this, you know, introduce the audience to who you are. Now I'm going to go with big brother Shane first, um, Andre, because, you know, we black folk, we recognize there are hierarchies and siblings um, regardless of any of our credentials we still give homage to the birth order. Shane, introduce to the audience a little bit about who you are.
2: Well, thank you, Chief B. Um, my name is Shane McGregor. I'm the head of analytics and one of the co-founders of Force Metrics. Um, my background, uh, Andre and I are both uh, born to Jamaican immigrant parents. Uh, I was born in New York, but early on in, in our uh, life, cycle moved to Colorado, where Andre was born in Denver. My sort of trajectory uh, after high school brought me to Brown University, where I happened to meet your husband as well. I pledged Alpha, and he's an Alpha. And so uh, that, that's an important uh, aspect of what I bring uh, in my experiences. Uh, after graduating Brown, though, I was fortunate to receive an Echoing Green Fellowship. And what that fellowship did was it provided me with seed money to start up a nonprofit organization called Technology and Learning. And uh, part of that program, we had a group of young teenage computer programmers who were learning graphic design skills, learning how to design websites. And I'm extremely proud to note that uh, my younger brother Andre was one of my first students. And so uh, my trajectory, has always been sort of on the educational side. After running uh, the technology and learning program for two years, I went back to get my master's in educational technology from Harvard, and so I've served as the director of technology at PBS. And prior to starting Force Metrics, I worked with Scantron, the bubble sheet testing company, for eleven years. And at Scantron, I headed up their business intelligence teams. Uh, I worked in helping school just districts analyze and create this holistic picture of student performance. And so we would take all of their grades, discipline, attendance data, their assessments, and, and help identify students who were on you know, the right track to succeeding and those who are off track. Yeah, happy to go in further, but I'll let Andre go ahead and talk about his experience as well.
1: Yeah, and before we get to Andre, so I'm telling you all now, If Brown, Harvard, O6, and PBS and Scantron don't start downloading my podcast, I'm going to come looking for some folk, okay? You're going to hit every top 10 of top 10 of who needs to be downloading these type of podcasts to speak to our folks and our people. Andre, I'm not going to say younger brother or little brother, because you are fire in this industry, too. Um, You are taking some big steps and big leaps. But talk to the audience about who you are. And then um, <laughs> wh- the follow-up is going to be how the two of you came together um, on what force metric is and then how the how that relationship developed. And then we're going to dive into how it is changing the way we think about technology policing and data gathering and mining today.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, having Shane before me at least covered the family side, but you know, I think the thing that um, I, you know, dealt with in, on the Denver side is, you know, we grew up in gangland, you know, we were poor, we, I know what food stamps are like, I know what, um, government cheese in the box looks like. Um, I, you know, being 12 years old and, you know, having to start thinking about ways to support the family at 14 and a variety of stuff like that. were very real um you don't really know what you're in until you're in it and then when you get older and you can look back you realize how much it actually you know shaped you and for the better um but uh, i remember i um you know was graduating high school and i wanted to go to colorado state university i want to be a wildlife biologist and um shane's like no you're going to brown studying computers i'm like but i don't want to go to brown studying computers i want to stay in with my friends in high school and he's like no no you don't understand the computers are the future like you should go there and Okay, he was right. <laughs> so, okay. Brown, and then um, you know, I, I didn't know what I want to be when I grew up. So, on top of you know, computers, I was you know, saying poli sci and and biology and all this stuff. There, I sort of uh, wanted to, to get a full breadth of, of education on the, the liberal learning environment of Brown. But uh, you know, after that was Goldman Sachs and Cardinal Health, and um, and I got recruited by the FBI um, randomly. Right, phone call we want to have you come in and take a test and i took the test and i took another test and then i took the physical fitness test and i failed because i'm a you know computer computer guy with soft hands right and so i like but i'm also a type personality so i'm like i'm gonna pass this um which i did and then the polygraph and got into quantico and learned how to shoot a gun and take a punch and arrest people and then they put me in manhattan Um, started working counterterrorism because every new agent in New York City works counterterrorism, Italian organized crime, Bonanno and Gambino crime families, and then uh, cybercrime. So hacking was a thing in in 2008, 2009. NSA was monitoring, but no one was really investigating. So uh, they pulled a bunch of from the field that had technical backgrounds and made us the first national security cyber squad for the FBI. And, um, you know, you got to work things like China, Russia, Iran, hacking, Stuxnet, there are about fifty technically trained agents of thirteen thousand agents worldwide and so i I describe a technically trained agent as someone that can code and shoot a gun. there're about fifty and If you actually look at that sphere of uh, how many were black technically trained agents, there were three of us um myself Al and Tim you can name them the and so you know got to to really understand the the cyber side but I was also able to to do a lot of ancillary stuff as well i was on the dive team i was a firearms instructor and you know it was really good opportunities to get away from from the desk Uh, but i was also a firefighter medic in my town for for 12 years so uh i did get to chase some 911 calls and and you know respond to the New, new jersey turnpike and stuff like that but you know then uh turned the badge of gun 2015 was uh you know working on software in silicon valley and uh decided uh the next thing was uh force metrics and it really was a idea after george floyd and wanting to to do more uh at an important time
1: so talking to the two of you right um similar backgrounds as you all um know from our conversations is you know i grew up extremely poor as well um, so i understand what that drive feels like uh, much like you andre I had never picked up a, a weapon before you know, I'm, I'm out of Carnegie Mellon University, and like, who's picking up guns coming out of there and learning how to deploy batons? And back then it was black blackjacks or flapjacks. We didn't have um, tasers or OC spray or pepper spray. And you're right, learned how to take a punch and, and give a punch um, uh, back in the day. Very few people who were college educated in our professions. And then, more importantly, when the two of you come together at some point, you see something going on in the world, and you're like, we can no longer sit in and much like myself, you can't sit in Silicon Valley, you can't sit in Colorado and just stay on the sidelines anymore. Particularly when you see what an entire institution is doing to poor folks. So it's not just black and brown communities. Poor people are policed very similarly um, to black and brown communities. Immigrant communities are are policed very similarly. Um, indigenous communities, we don't even want to talk about the lack of engagement and authentic policing um, in our indigenous communities or on our reservations. But you see something on TV unfolding. Um, Shane, Andre, whoever wants to jump in there first, you see George Floyd unfolding in front of the entire world. And much like yourself, I'm aghast by it. And like, how do we get to the point where we can watch public executions of black men on t v um, and we were not moved to do something to affect the system,
0: yeah, I mean I'll take that uh first um you know the the Monday after the video dropped is um very memorable for me because i I had an anxiety attack, and i I didn't know that was what was happening, so I remember it was eight a m and I was walking uh into my home office and I, I remember I was like, oh, I feel very anxious and like my, my heart rates up a little bit, but I didn't really know what was going on at the time at all. And so I'm like, oh, maybe I need to like just do some burpees or something just to get some energy out and I'm trying to do that. And that didn't really work. And so I was like, all right, like maybe I'll go on a bike ride. So I actually changed into my like riding gear and I, I was like riding and I, I rode like three miles ironically down Martin Luther King Boulevard. And then I got to this intersection. And I just started crying, like hysterically crying in the street and I did not know what was going on you know, like my I now understand a little bit more but at the time I had no idea what was happening like why am I crying right now no idea and then my friend Diana, she calls me on the phone just happenstance, and she was like, "Hey, you know." And um, my friends would call, call me Dre. They're like, "Hey, you know, hey Dre, I just you know with everything kind of happening, I just wanted to just call and you know see how you're doing." And I'm just, I I don't I, I can't and I can't talk. And she's like, "Wait, what's wrong?" Like she didn't. I hadn't talked to her in, in, in many, many, many months, and so she's like, "Wait, wait, sit down, find a bench, now talk to me." And as we start talking, she's helping me to understand that I was battling being black and blue and um that while george floyd and i are very different people that we had similar experiences in a variety of ways and uh, i say you know as blue i've used force rest myself wrestle subjects on the ground pointed my gun um as black i've been pulled over well over 20 times handcuffed three times handcuffed sat on the curb as a juvenile and i have no criminal record and went to an ivy league school i worked at goldman sachs and i was an FBI agent right so sort of like the confluence of all those emotions kinda of came and at the time that same friend was like, Hey, you should start writing out your feelings and I'm like, Well, I don't write. She's like, no, seriously, just like, you know, write out you know, just open Microsoft Word and just start writing out what you're feeling. And I started writing and I just wrote, wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I shared it with her and she's like, You need to turn this into an op ed. And so I had a you know police chiefs that were calling me that were, you know, asking how we can be better in the community, how we can think better about technology and community engagement and I just started asking questions like uh FBI agent. I just wanted to learn a lot more. And, and what I learned was that Silicon Valley has provided them with the hardware to feel successful, the license plate readers, the drones, the tasers, the, the video systems, but they still collect a lot of just data all the time from their 911 systems, their report management systems, jail management, e-citation, 311. And while a crime analyst can do stuff with it, a single person, that patrol officer isn't getting that same level of quick information, but the public is expecting that they know all this information already. So there's a disconnect in the perception of what information they have access quickly to what the public thinks and television was a major part that hey when you're watching television you see how fast they can solve crimes and how cool the technology is, you're actually expecting that that's what your police department locally is doing. And so that's how force metric started and I'll punt it over to Shane, but um, you know, it was, we had to bring other people in and talk about data and st- storytelling with that data. And it's awful data because it's dirty and incomplete and typos and yeah. So as Andre, you know, wrote this
2: op-ed, uh, one of the things that he noted was, you know, a time where I was actually with him in the car and we were pulled over by New Jersey police and, You know, he says he's on the job. He pulls out his badge carefully, provides it to them. And, you know, these officers were skeptical about whether he was actually an FBI agent. And so this was part of that sort of just culmination of experiences uh, being black and blue and and not necessarily being given the same level of, you know, credence that uh, a white officer might have. Um, You know, for myself, I've always been on the community side, so you know, seeing you know the incidences with George Floyd and the like, in which it just tugs at your heartstrings as to what are some of those things that we can do to improve the situation at hand. Uh, I think both Andre and I, our family, has an extreme uh, respect for law enforcement, uh, for also serving. You know, our sister's a, a nurse. Uh, my older brother, who's two years older than me, is um, uh, was is retired navy. Spent 25 plus years in the navy as a helicopter pilot, and so our family in general has always had sort of this, you know, movement towards service in general. And so uh, when Andre was getting all these calls, uh, one of those calls came from Denver, and so he and I went to Denver Police Department. We sat down with some of their uh, crime analysts. We saw all of the disparate data sources that they had and no real way of searching that. And, you know, the, the light bulb sort of came on in me in terms of saying, gosh, this is exactly what we're doing on the Scantron side, where we're taking all these disparate data sets, uh, combining them in, into a common data model, being able to provide analytics on top of it, and, and, and we could do the same for law enforcement. And so uh, that's how I sort of became engaged with uh, this whole effort that we started
1: Right. So now we have two ways in which we're thinking about it, right? So as as I see it, right, as I, um, the yin and yang, the balance to all this. And then for my listeners, um, just so that you know, because I did already have your pod or your op-ed up. I was a black FBI agent. White cops didn't always see me as equal, correct? Is the one that came out of CNN where you do that yep. um, opinion piece um, with Van Jones, uh, shout out to CNN, Talk to me about what Force Metrics does and why it's important to have both of your lens, right? The the data, the analytics, but also, um, Shane, coming from the educational aspect of it, because it's not enough to just analyze data, right? How do we educate people about the data they're going to use and something we don't ever talk about, um, which I used to talk about, how do we educate the community about the type of data that's there um, and how it's going to be used in a positive way? And then the last part as you're juggling these questions that I'm writing is um, I read somewhere that 99% of all the data that we collect, police data, is not criminal. And I think it was based on the new um, license plate readers that they're putting in um around the virginia area that we collect data that's not criminal so how do we store safeguard and use that data data to make communities safe so that that we don't think that there's additional predatory kind of behaviors of surveillance in black community so i know it's a lot to throw at you Mm -hmm. but this data thing is going somewhere when it comes to policing and i'd rather have the best team best forces out there with the best intentions if we're going to deploy it throughout more than possibly 18,000 policing agencies.
0: Yeah, um I agree and I, you know to kind of go to the 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 original questions or force metrics. We sit on top of these disparate systems, the 911, you know, computer aided dispatch CAD systems, the report management systems, the jail management, e-citation, all these systems that I mentioned earlier. We sit on top, we bring in a a commercial style experience that you would expect from a Google or a Twitter or anything that you use already. And we say, we're going to help you identify safety and social needs on a person, location, or situation in seconds and on your smartphone. Why? Because you're not taking your laptop in your car into the house or into the mall. And that person over the radio at dispatch isn't there with you, but you do have your smartphone with you. So what we do is we go in and we say, You know, when we look up a person or a location or looking at a call, is a person going to kill me or not kill me, kill themselves or someone else? And then what are their social needs? What are their social truths? Are they deaf and hearing impaired, PTSD, domestic violence victim, homeless, autism, dementia, um, militaries or a dog in the house? All these things that if I knew all that stuff going in it wouldn't feel like i'm going in blind so when we talk to officers they say we go in these situations two o'clock in the morning on a domestic and we're afraid too we don't know what's going on in there and the guns an equalizer is a bad equalizer so if we can start to identify the data that's already been collected so i say we are not going into social media and so their brain and other people can do that we are the excel to a department's paper ledger we can do we're doing exactly what you're doing with 16 people and 16 hours of work, but with one person in a minute. And so we say that's how we were able to bring major case resourcing to that 15 minute call for service and to be able to actually provide resourcing to victims to reduce victimization while also dealing with crime suppression and homeless outreach and a variety of things that a city has to deal with. So when we look at the larger picture of this, and let's just do some economics for a second. A a, a police department is the largest line item of any city's budget. Anywhere from 40 to 70% will be on public safety. Why? Because you're 24 hours a day. you, you, You will send someone if needed, and you're really good at call routing. And so you touch every facet of a city, the barking dogs and animal control, to the homeless, to the woman giving birth, to the Narcan, to the homicide. And so as a result, it's not just about one particular thing. The data that we actually look at, we see streetlights that are out. Because that, 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 that citizen calls the non-emergency line and it goes right to that emergency center and they type it into that 911 system. We are just able to surface data that normally hasn't been surfaced. And we do it in a way that is ethical because the, the nice thing about the data sets that there, it's publicly available already through open public records and FOIA and a variety of stuff that's available for state law. It's, it's data that you expect is already collected, that's already being used. It's just how do we do it now when we don't have a police department that's fully staffed to what we thought it was staffed, um, you know, years back.
1: So as Shane jumps in there for the educational part, um, keep this in the back of your head when we're talking about safety and the social needs, right? We're going to evaluate it through person, location, and their social truths. As you're, as as Shane is responding, Andre, keep in the back of your head um, how this can help with things like I just we just talked about earlier this week. Um, a Seattle woman sues the city and the police for a wrong address raid, getting the addresses wrong for these kinds of calls because data is wrong and how we can mitigate things like Brianna Taylor, wrong addresses, wrong, um, wrong, Dallas, you know, kicking in wrong doors. Chicago is kicked in on average. Um, I think it's at one point New York was kicking in or serving 50 wrong address warrants a, a month about 600 people uh, a year based on faulty data. Shane talked about, as he's thinking about that, as we're talking about that, the importance of the educational piece, the social component, the humanistic portion of um, what you all are doing with force metrics and how this is revolutionizing the work.
2: So uh, just to add to what Andre was saying, um, you know, police agencies, law enforcement agencies Collect a lot of data and it often tells the good the bad and the ugly within a the community um, there's a lot of good there you know there's officers are being sort of charged with dealing with people dealing with homelessness mental health issues domestic violence issues and so they're they're putting on a variety of different hats and yet you wanted to as part of force metrics be able to ensure that the right response was being um, tailored to that particular situation, and so what our software and our technology is able to do is we're able to summarize um, with our text summarization functionality uh, what are the critical issues that this family is going through. You know, is it, are they deaf? Do they have mental health issues? Um, are they you know dealing with substance abuse? Uh, we we can surface all of that up with highlighted labels, which uh, allow for officers to make quicker and more efficient decisions that hopefully uh, respond to more positive outcomes for black and brown communities in particular, but for all communities uh, and so um, you know my lens as you know someone who deals with analytics, someone who comes from the community side of things uh, early on, we recognize that biased data pr- can produce biased results and so we want to make sure that you know, if we were seeing any of that type of you know, um, data elements that didn't necessarily show the the, the truths of what was happening on the community side, as well as on the law enforcement side, that we, we could uh, help sort of surface what was truly important. We, you know, our team is called an insights team. We're looking for the insights of what's happening uh, within a situation. Uh, and, you know, those insights are uh, important for making sure that, you know, there's not an over-response or an under-response to a situation. We want to highlight whether or not, you know, someone has had, you know, violent violent instances uh, with with the community uh, before. And so, um, I, I think our software is, is revolutionary in the fact that we're, doing something that's both beneficial for law enforcement as well as for the community.
1: So I love that. And um, I know, Andre, you're going to talk about, again, even when you talk about the economics of this, right? We're talking about data mining and systems, but it also could help with preventive. um, You know, I was just thinking about co-responder models. Um, And if we had the ability, because we often don't, to data mine um, when there might be a person who's in crisis, experiencing a mental health crisis, those are often coded. Sometimes it might be a disturbance. Sometimes it might be a mental health. Sometimes, you know, in Virginia, it's a temporary custody order or emergency custody order. In Pennsylvania, it's a 302 mental health call, right? There might be all these ways in which someone codes in either through 911 or CAD or a police system or even the medics who might be responding or the fire department that might be responding. Talk to me about how your system, force metrics for from the economics can help save lives and save money. Um, as you eloquently say, the power of data through storytelling. Now folks, y'all don't know this, and he didn't just say that, but you know, I had an in-depth conversation with brother Andre um, and it actually was interrupting their dinner down in Georgia where you were speaking with a client, but took out the time to speak with me. Um, as well, S- give me an example about how you're able to mine all of these different phrases in Texas to create a story about an address or about a person that's much more accurate and reflective of the whole person um, and tell a story versus we've been to the house nine times, somebody might have had a gun, we're not sure, um, and we're not even sure who they're connected with. We just know, here we go again to this house. And I'm not sure how many times we got a call to this house about what.
0: Yeah, the, the, the thing that's important through all of this is we, we tend to, and uh, eloquently I'll say, vomit data on our responders all the time and expect that they have the time to read and read while also driving fast and clearing an intersection and running into an emergent situation and needing to respond within a certain amount of minutes and make sure the scene is safe there's a lot that has to happen and I also have to read. So when you think about all the data that's collected, storytelling is the number one thing that you're trying to figure out. And so if when we look at the data that we've collected in, and there's a lot of different sources that are there, the number one question that we say is, what's the story here? It's not just add more license plate reader data. I can add millions of data points in, but who's gonna read that? How does it help the majority of people? And actually, quite frankly, how do you take a utilitarian approach to it? Because If it's for one person, but it doesn't help everyone else, then you've actually hurt potentially everyone else for the benefit of a single person within sort of that data story perspective. And so when you look at things like our application was used to identify kidnapped kids because the data is associated for that person's location in a single CAD 911 note that didn't surface as a police report because no report was taken but we, but then on the other end, we can identify kids and, and adults that have autism. And I say, because our officers do their job and they're writing a business record, that business record is stored and, can, and is a valuable record because it can be used against you both criminally and civilly. So there is some level of, compre, of uh, comprehensive information in there. We're just surfacing the stuff that normally when I'm scanning through really quickly looking for the good stuff. I can actually surface the things that may actually be really important to know, and then the thing is is when you look at someone and I could take someone that has dementia, autism, um, you know s- mental health you know issues that, that surface, we see it over and over again on different calls because our police officers continue to do their job and they continue to write down what they hear and what they see into this business record. So now we have some level of of a stronger truth, so sometimes on, a, on its own by itself is a concern about bias and there's all biases. Human biases exist. But when I take the 911 call, the raw voice of the call, the caller, and I'm combining it with the business record that's there, I have a stronger truth. I'm getting the community. I'm getting the police officer. And by the way, when I start adding more and more and more of both of those, now I get even closer to them. So when you're talking about sort of co-responder teams, now I can say, okay, who are my people that are having suicidal situations? I can start to trust my data a lot more. I'm not just saying it's one-sided. I'm not just saying it's the community voice. I'm also showing what someone saw, smelled, heard when they were there. And now I can say this person is ripe for diversion, intervention. We've had our application used to stop a school shooting. It doesn't get better than that. When they say, hey, call came." the police chief shared the audio and we heard the audio on the call that came in. And they said, we went to Force Metrics. We saw that that phone number was attached to an unknown 911 event. That's what it was labeled. But they happened to have an address that was associated with that number. And they went to that address and they were like, and find the person. I say that because the chief then said, we would not have found that otherwise. There's nothing in the way that we would normally have looked at data in our normal systems <laughs> that would have surfaced this unknown 911 event that would have got us there before we had to evacuate a school and have the news media and everyone's hands up and they're, you're dealing with parents. That's how we've changed the dynamic of this. And so revolutionary is one word. I think game changer. <laughs> revolutionary is one word, but game changer is the, the other word.
1: So I just was thinking about it. I am, um, I know, you know, the whole co-responder model is a huge thing. And for our audience who doesn't know what a co-responder model is, There's been such an outcry that police are responding and criminalizing things like um, individuals who are unsheltered or homeless or experiencing a mental health crisis or experiencing drug and alcohol addiction. Um, And the co-responder is you bring the appropriate person to that call with you, whether it's a social worker or whether it's a person who has advanced um, crisis intervention training. So even having the right information, the right address was enough even if the dispatcher doesn't know that there might be some people in that home or residents in that home that might need additional support. It might not be the original caller. We have enough information that we dispatch proactively resources to a scene that may not even be called for or not a result of this initial 911 call that we're dealing to currently, correct?
2: Correct. So um in one of our pilot cities, my first ride along was actually with the co-responder team that uh they had engaged with and so um i got to see how a medic a firefighter and a police officer all work in cohort to try to proactively go out and um touch base with individuals uh they were keeping this manual spreadsheet though of saying okay it's about two weeks perhaps we need to follow up with uh you know john to see how he's doing well One of the the features that we soon developed after that was to be able to follow an individual. So if a call comes in and John's involved, that co-responder team would get notified and alerted that John's been involved with an incident, you know, uh, and they can follow up accordingly. Uh, I always tell the story about um, one of the other responses that that co-response team did was uh, they went to a, a suicide attempt where a person was trying to hang themselves. And this person was naked, uh, the noose broke, and then they ran out of, outside naked, and the person had COVID. I quickly shut my door and said, I'll let you guys handle this one because <laughs> <laughs> the, the delivery that it takes, I didn't quite have it with me at that time. And so <laughs> You know, uh, that co-response model is 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 critical. You know, it required a different type of response than than that normal sort of guns guns out to try to deal with that type of individual. And so, um, you know, but one of the ways that we, we've evolved as a company is to ensure that those type of teams that we work with in Greensboro and Aurora uh, in Abilene, Texas, that they're um, able to get information on what are the latest mental health cases that have occurred over the last four days while they were off shift so
1: you know what else i was just thinking too is um i can imagine because we do get a lot of check on the well-being calls and that means something simply like maybe it's a person who is more seasoned or elderly who may be living alone or experiencing dementia or alzheimer's and somebody lives in a different state and so being able to put those kinds of information in and how do we even create healthy communities around having all of that information and um i can imagine you know if i was in a chiefing position again using force metrics to do authentic proactive community relations like making sure we do well-being checks on our own um not someone calling nine one one, but saying I have a list of these seniors who are you know trying to live independently, um, don't have a lot of support systems here. But what does that feel like to have an officer just knock on their door, making sure they're okay, um, just checking in on them, creating a real sense of community? But also, um, a lot of the elderly often find themselves they've fallen. And they're laying on the floor for two or three days and nobody has checked on them. Um, and the likelihood that they survive a fall when they're elderly, like creating this authentic community of proactive policing in a way that we've not thought about doing it before.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's interesting because... i mean,
1: digging there. You all are the, no, the, it... the creative geniuses.
0: Um, I love, I love that because the way I look at this and you Brett mentioned it in the beginning is that the majority of these calls are not criminal in nature. <laughs> There's a lot of unknowns or, you know, a police department, you call 911 because we were told that when you have a need and you don't know who else to call, call this three digit number and someone will come help you. Um, I think early on, we've had a little bit more sort of understanding of, It's some sort of, you know, life safety medical emergency that we call our houses on fire. That has changed now. We have people calling about their utility bills and a variety of stuff. So any help is is sort of seen there. But in all seriousness, you have a world where people are looking to the government for help. And this is the phone number that we have taught society that if they call, that government will help. So now, but we've never defined exactly what that help would be outside of life safety, house on fire, medical emergency. And that's where we're having these co-responder teams and a variety of things that are coming out of this. I think we're going to see more teams that are coming out of this, which is, hey, now that this isn't just seen as all this data is criminal in nature and sieges and things that make it hard to share, this is why like in some of our cities, animal control uses our application. Because the same information is there about the, you know, Bad dogs that could be harming people to the dogs that have been abandoned down to code enforcement and hoarding houses where we don't want to find somebody had died in there as a result of of that. And so when I look at sort of the, the community side, it's not even proactive policing. It's just proactive community support. Because now at this stage, I don't think it needs to be an officer that's doing it. Sure, we can have the data collected and still use that same mechanism. But now we can just carve out that data carve it out and have it to the other agencies to use. The Parks Department can actually have access to the same data and go do things that are specific to their function. They get taxpayer money just the same.
1: I, I love this. Shane, speak to, to this one part, and I know um, Dre, and I, can I call you Dre now? Oh, I mean, we talked up. Can I call you Dre?
2: <laughs> yes. Of course. <laughs>
1: so Shane, speak to this, and I know um, um, Andre and I talked about it. How might the community use this system too, right? Because this is taxpayer money, and then I'm going to wind it up because you know I'm gonna let you go about and some folks got some other stuff to do to chat with me um, and geek out with me all day. How might the community use this um, in terms of having access, transparency and even oversight, um, an educational you know a civilian review board or even a citizens' police academy? How might they use force metrics to meet the needs of the community to engage better with the police departments?
2: So um, there are a couple of things that uh, we look at. Um, in, in trying to be successful, we realized that, you know, ensuring that there was buy-in on the law enforcement side was critical. You know, that we are a, an agency that is providing a platform which provides you know law enforcement with a particular lens into what's happening within the community on the reverse side, from the community aspect, what we're dealing with there is uh, we want to um, work with I know you had uh, Brother Suthers on uh, one of your podcasts. I, I did listen to that one in which um, he's part of that uh, commissioner panel uh, that that helps to determine how can our law enforcement be better well, we want to be able to have advocates like him, you know, see our platform to see the information that uh, is available for law enforcement officers to do their jobs uh, with the most information possible. And so, you know, we, we're, we're providing this additional, you know, tool uh, as part of their tool belt, uh, so to speak, in which uh, the community, if they recognize that we're surfacing information that is uh, much more reliable for officers they support it uh as well um you know andre can talk about sort of when we first were engaged with aurora it was their you know uh city manager who saw our product and said you know this can help with issues that their officers are dealing with and so um you know the the community side uh is, is 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 really how we came at it but even though we're working uh, with more law enforcement agencies directly, but the, there, there's there's a community portal aspect that can can help provide that information uh, to to the community about what's going on in their neighborhood. I was listening to another one of your podcasts in which uh, you're talking about you know the beat cop nostalgia that that in in which you know people wanted to have a, an officer walk in the community and, and you throw out this you know novel idea of, well you know, if I'm gonna have that officer walking, I wanna make sure that there's someone in the community that's also walking with them to explain the historical, you know, experiences that have occurred, whether, you know, that location is where, you know, people gather to, you know, commiserate or to, you know, pull together on certain issues to, you know, provide activism around certain issues. And so um, we're looking for you know, those chiefs that have those revolutionary sort of um, ideas who are progressive, who want to ensure that, progressive with a small, I don't say progressive with a capital P, but who want to ensure that the data is being used to the utmost for both officers as well as for the community.
1: So I'm going to let the two of you go, but before I do that, um, this is a personal question, Raid. I'm one of six kids. Um, I can't imagine working with my... So I have four sisters um, and a brother. So brother, we're just going to discount him. Sorry. That's what we do in our family. There's five girls. He's the oldest. He's fine. He'll be, deal with it, right? <laughs> yes, <me>. I will. <laughs> Talk to me. And, and it sounds like your sister is the only female, right? With three brothers? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so talk to me about what is it what is it like working with your sibling right and then um either of you jump in and then um when it comes to force metrics what are the moments that you're most proud of and then we're going to wrap it up with Listen, how do we get in touch with you, right? We're not just going to put this up there. We're going to drop this. There are 18,000 policing agencies out there. How do we get force metrics in the other 17,999? Or not, I know you have more than that, but how do we get you out there and everyone? Because I believe in this system um, and would we'll be hiring y'all, whatever the conflict of interest were after we cleared it with attorneys um, about what the best product is. I mean, this is a sole source if I ever have seen one. Um, kind of a contract.
2: So let me start, and then I'll let Andre finish up. Um, Andre is 10 years younger than me, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, going through high school and those elementary years with myself and my older brother who were, I don't want to say constantly battling one another, but, uh, you know, that, that had the typical sibling relationship. Um, when I moved back to, to Denver after graduating Brown, uh, I was working with Andre. Andre actually took over the program that I started uh, working with the community center, uh, helping provide refurbished computers to uh, members in need. Um, you know, And so I entrusted him to sort of continue to flourish. He was on the front page of the USA Today as a computer whiz kid uh, in high school. Uh, and so, you know, those type of moments uh, when we talk about, gosh, how's it working with your sibling? I've been working with them for, you know, 20 plus years, uh, technically, um, we've worked together in consulting capacities, uh, knowing that we have offsetting sort of um, skill sets that, that help one another. And so uh, that, that I think that's what allows us to, to truly thrive and, and work together where, you know, not everyone can work together.
1: Uh-oh, folks, when we say pampers and pacifiers, they're not lying on this one. Dre, you jumping in?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I appreciate the ability to really have an impact on on cities that I didn't expect we were going to do. I I mean, we started this out as just a a, um, response to uh, an awful video that Mm -hmm. led to some emotions and some phone calls, right? Like, we now have a technology that, yeah, we started out saying safety and social needs, and that's a very important thing that we want to do. But we now hear departments say, you're selling it wrong. You're selling, you're, those things are very important to us, but you bring efficiency in a time where we don't have enough people, where the the, the amount of um, need just keeps growing and we don't have enough people. So you make it easier for us to get off scene, to go to the next scene, or for me to reduce the amount of time that I need to talk to someone to hear their story. I'm not dismissing them, but to say, I already, I already spent the time to learn and I don't need you to recreate and re-traumatize yourself through whatever Horrific story that you need to tell me. Um, yeah, didn't expect that. Didn't expect that records clerks would be using it to reduce the amount of time for public records requests and and FOIA and being able to pull information for the public to get transparency because that is one of the biggest hindrances of a city is the ability to respond to those public records requests or to be used for. Uh, professional standards or city and county attorneys to be able to look into those complaints to make it quicker to adjudicate adjudicate that information so that the public is not wondering what you are doing or for public information officers or even chiefs at city council to say that we don't have to say we'll get back to you when a question is asked that i have to have someone else go pull that information for me i can do that as the chief the chief of aurora pd art acevedo has access to our application, uses it himself. The city manager uses our application and the city manager says, I've never asked for access to CAD or RMS because it's too complicated and why would I I use that? And he's like, I can use force metrics so when I have an officer that is injured and I need to look up that information, I can do that (laughs) as the city manager of the city. Did not expect all of these different use cases. So if we're talking about accountability and transparency, If we're not giving the tools for our leaders to be able to go direct, to get the information that they need to be able to respond to that person at city council and public hearing, then we are not doing our job. But on the same token, I say that the mission of our company is simple and it's actually very um, generic. I say the mission is that at some point in time, my my mother, our mother, is going to call 911 and some unknown random person called a police officer is going to come to her door. And if we're not doing everything in our power to provide that officer with all the information for for them to stay safe and make a safe decision and keep my mother safe, then we didn't do our job. And everyone's got that same mother. Everyone's got that same story. So it's simple. That is exactly what impact I was expecting um, that um, our team would build. And they've done it. It's not any single person in this company because you have to have a company that looks like the community that it wants to build technology for and so i'm blessed uh to have um a, a solid um founding team i'm very blessed to have solid engineers that could do so many other things you could go to silicon valley and build software and make lots of money on ads and sales <laughs> but would rather do it for public safety and the community could well folks this is
1: Force Metrics, again, I said a force to be reckoned with. Um, I am just humble and proud uh, to have both of you sitting before me. I am excited about the work that not only you are doing, but what it could look like in the future. And I want to thank both of you. Um, If you're interested in them, it is forcemetrics.ai is their company. Reach out to Shane or um, Andre McGregor. Shameless plug for all of you who are out there listening. Thank you so much for spending the past 45 minutes or so with me. I do appreciate you.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Chief. Thank you.
2: Um, We also definitely want to also provide that thanks to all the noble partners who have assisted us. Uh, You know, we'd be remiss to not sort of acknowledge, you know, that aspect of this as well. Um, as Andre is saying, you know the communities that are often in need are, are black and brown communities, and and they're led by you know execs uh, who are black and brown as well, who uh, can you know help provide this additional tool for their officers. So uh, we appreciate all the support that they've provided.
0: You're and, so and, uh... The, the shameless plug, I will say, is um, we're looking for that flagship city and in the next state that, that needs software like this. And so, um, you know, for for the price of a crime analyst um, or even less, we can make that happen. And i happy to do.
1: And you know what? So that's it, folks. Um, you heard it from here. You, you want to be that cutting edge on the edge. You know how to get it. You can get it here at the Black Arm of the Law podcast or you can get directly in touch with force metrics. Shane and Andre, thank you so much. So as we slip into the end of SHIFT report and with these two amazing, we're talking full package individuals, as well as a program, um, as well as a software system. Prior to hearing about force metrics, I had um, heard Andre say once that the only thing officers had prior to these systems were their guts And their guns, and that is the only real information and response they had to any situation they were going into. We now have the power to mine systems, to tell stories, to give a complete and full picture that protects the community, that protects the officers and officer safety, that really can create systems that allow us to build authentic Transparent relationships, you know, what force metrics is authentically doing. They are telling about the power of data through storytelling and folks, if that's not what we need, if we don't need data that can tell the full story in an unbiased impartial way i don't know what else there's left to do if we don't need technology that can be used in an ethical way that can be used in a transparent way to help the community as well as help the department help itself i don't know what else is left for you i'd rather get rid of guts and guns and i'd go with the power of storytelling and data any day of the week i am your host um a huge thank you to our audience and our guests thank you for listening Please tell someone about the show. Don't forget to download on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, follow, comment. This is the end of my shift. I am 1042. Catch you next week.
0: The Black Arm of the Law podcast is hosted by Rashal Brackney-Wheelock. Executive producers Ken Johnson, Steve Tompkins, and Rashal Brackney-Wheelock. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, the Mean Old Line Media app, or where you get your podcast. Follow Black Arm of the Law at BLK Arm of the Law on IG and X. Follow the Mean O-Line Media podcast network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store and Google Play for more great podcasts. The Black Arm of the Law podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production.